You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back, and we are here to talk all about Paris is Burning, an amazing documentary from 1990 that touches on the LGBT community in New York City in the late 80s and how, you know, it was just it's just interesting and Darren is here to walk us through this and I think there's going to be a lot of interesting discussions for this one and this one has this documentary has won many awards I know there's been follow-ups there's been other documentaries based off of this one so it's going to be very interesting to see a man who doesn't ever go to the ball by himself is Mr. Mike Gordon let's welcome him for this week howdy or should I say, bonjour? Exactly. We're in Paris. We're That's going right. to Paris. Gay Paris. Paris. Gay Paris. Literally. <laughs> and it, it's it's interesting. And I had never seen this documentary before. So, Spoiler alert. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't so. take place in Paris. <laughs> Don't let them know that. They have to listen. Now they won't listen. No, of course, of course they're going to listen. They're going to want to hear what Darren has to say. So it should be interesting. You doing okay this week, sir? That's why I listen. Of course. Because you never know what Darren's going to say. Oh, that's why I participate in these episodes, because I never know what Darren's going to say. You doing okay, bud? Absolutely. Excellent. Hope everybody at home is doing well and looking forward to this episode. Should we, you know, were you still in shock from the ending of WandaVision? But, you know, we'll be talking about that next week. So we're not going to touch on that at all tonight. So we want to save it all for you guys. But we definitely would love to hear how you guys are doing. Please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. You could write us, tell us what you guys think about what's going on. And please, you know, write us your thoughts on for next week's episode. We'll read it up on the air. We definitely would. We mentioned it already on our Facebook group, and we've already gotten two or three emails. So we'll definitely be talking all about that. So should be a lot of fun, but, you know, never know what could come up in the discussion. If we survive this one, we're going to be definitely doing WandaVision next week. So it should be cool. So we got a lot of things to talk about. And, you know, before we get going, though, of course, please help our sponsor. Who are we talking about? Why, the fine folks at Tifosi Optical. That's right. Tifosi Optical makes some amazing sunglasses. Here in Georgia, it almost feels like the beginning of summer with some of the temperatures we've been having and what we're expecting. And, you know, the sun is out. The leaves are blooming. The pollen is everywhere it's just a matter of time before everything turns yellow because of it but you know what the cool thing about it is you could look really cool in the yellow with tofosi shades that's right you can get a custom made pair of tofosi optical sunglasses for as little as thirty dollars and you can pick your own colors for the lenses, own color for the frames. I think it's pretty darn awesome. But if you don't want sunglasses, they also have gamer glasses. They have the, the blue light blocking glasses. They also have safety glasses for, you know, working in 
the field or something and you know you need to have like a pair of safety goggles in sports or also out in working in a factory or something Tifosi Optics has it all all you have to do is go to tifosioptics.com and guess what folks if you put in earth station one into the coupon code you get 10 percent off your order that's not too bad and it shows that you actually guys are listening and actually supporting our sponsor and you guys have been so thank you so much that's our friends at Tifosi Optical, tifosioptics.com. And now we're here with a segment that we haven't done for quite some time. And we're going to be doing rants and raves. And this week's rants and raves, we're talking all about our predictions for what is going to be nominated for the Academy Awards this year. And it's a really different year, especially since movie theaters were at very limited, you know, ability and capacity. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, a lot of these are going to be some things that were straight to cable or, you know, like Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV, among others. So it's going to be a very interesting time to do it. And, you know, how do you want to do this, Mikey? Do you want to go ahead and just talk about what we think our predictions are going to be for the best picture nominees yeah i think with? um i mean i think best picture and and any sort of outstanding performances that we either um have seen for ourselves or um you know uh things of note that uh, we've personally uh seen over the last uh, movies that have come out in the last year or so and, and you're right it is it is a weird year um usually the oscars would be happening now instead of uh next week they're going to um tell us the nominees officially the nominees um but you know in some ways it's a little bit easier to predict what the nominees are going to be because they uh there aren't that many to choose from um now you're right they I, the academy has announced that uh they will allow films that were released via streaming services or video on demand um, if they were originally scheduled to have a theatrical release there's there's a lot of like requirements as well um, you know, the seven day theatrical trailer, uh, sorry, the seven day theatrical release was reinstated once, uh, cinemas were resumed operations like AMC. So, so yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag as to which ones we have. Uh, most of the, most of the Oscar contenders though, are, are ones that, uh, you know, I think, um, we've seen in theaters and, and some of them are, you can stream now. So, um, uh there i don't know i mean I, I you know we can certainly talk about some of the the most amazing films i think we're starting to see a lot of those hit now uh two that i think um hit last month um that i i i, I yeah I, I that come to mind that came out last month one was uh that released through amazon studios which was one night in miami and the other was through HBO Max, which is Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, sure. Both, both of those. Are, both are amazing movies. Absolutely. They both told stories not similar, um, because, but it took place around the similar time frame, um, you know, around the civil rights movement in the, in the late 60s. Um, but uh, were very different in their, in, their, um, in their formats. One Night in Miami was based on the stage play. Whereas uh, Jews and the Black Messiah was specifically um, uh, a film, and it was also 
uh, more of a, it was kind of built around like a, it's almost like a crime thriller, like Donnie Brasco or something. Um, it felt like a, almost like a Scorsese movie in some ways mm-hmm. with, but with like legitimate, like instead of mafia versus mafia, it was like legitimately like bigger, bigger stakes. Right. Oh, um, very much so. So, um, but those stand out. I saw those last month. Uh, those stand out to me. Uh, great performers, uh, performances in those. Um, and uh, I definitely could see both of those being nominated. Have you, you seen uh, those as well? Or? I've seen those too. I know you saw last night uh, No Man Land. I did see No Man Land. That's available on Hulu. Um, no Man Land is available on Hulu. And it's a very uh, quiet, but powerful performance by Frances McDormand I definitely see her leading and I think that was the the movie that won best picture at the Golden Globes right yes so obviously that's a favorite um Frances McDormand I never bet against Frances McDormand (laughs) if she's in a category right (laughs) yeah no no she's if she's in a in a category she's shot up to the front runner right there yeah because she never puts in she never phones it in and she's always you know she will she's willing to take chances she's also willing to have some fun i mean we've seen her in movies heck just a little while ago we we, we watched uh we did a rewatch of almost famous she's amazing in that don't do drugs and uh and and this is a very different character um very different it's a very quiet like i said but powerful movie um i definitely recommend people check it out as well um there's some other uh movies what do you think about you you and i both saw on netflix the dig uh, oh the dig was amazing that was a wonderful it i wouldn't don't want to say it's a feel-good movie but it's it's just a good movie yeah i haven't seen a lot of people talking about it but i i would put it up there oh very much so um it's interesting because ray fines is just so subtle in this role he's very very quiet compared to a lot of the roles he's done in the past and it's it's just it's just awesome it's a beautiful movie on top of it and it it captures that era uh just before world war ii starts in the uk and it is it's just gorgeous and there's some great other performances it's just not ray fines doing some and you know you have some other actors and actresses um very familiar roles people too and some great great roles yeah oh well carrie mulligan is a standout as well um and she's a kind of a uh a double threat because of promising young woman which i have not seen have you seen that no um friends of mine have seen it and they want us to watch it and she's supposed to be amazing in that one yeah, I've also, heard, I heard good things, um, and I heard it's very quirky, but I heard it's really good. Uh, now, what about another movie that has a lot of buzz to it as well, which is on Netflix? Trial of Chicago Seven. Did you have you seen that uh, one? Oh yeah, I gave it a. That was one of my uh, shout, shout outs, outs right. a yep. couple weeks back, and that is Aaron Sorkin. Yep, and he does an amazing, amazing um, job with it. And another all-star cast, including uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. As Abby Hoffman, I can't As remember. Abby Hoffman. I've and seen the he, pictures, and I'm like, wow, that is that is amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is really very well done. It has uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it, and it has, you know, so many other Michael folks. Michael Batman-Keaton. 
oh, Michael Keaton is awesome. <laughs> you almost expect him on the st- when he's on the stand. You almost expect him. I'm Batman. <laughs> so and and he's he's just awesome in it. And there's so many good and it's a it's pretty close to history, and it's historically fairly accurate. You know, so it's it is it's neat to see. Um, the show, and it's also another great movie that I definitely would love to see possibly, you know, win. Um, another movie that we both raved about and saw, um, which was written, I, I actually directed and written by, co-written by the guy who wrote the play and the screenplay for One Night in Miami, and that is Soul from Pixar. Um, if Soul doesn't get um, Best Animated Movie... Uh, there's something wrong. Plus, I think it's even it should be even be categories for best picture. I could see Soul being nominated for best picture, and wouldn't it be a blast with how strange 2020 was? An animated movie winning best picture. Yeah, yeah, and that, <laughs> and you know, I stranger things have happened, but you know, Especially some of these. Oh, exactly. You're funny. Uh, but anyway, I, <laughs> you didn't think I caught that, did you? No, I didn't. But yeah, but it was it's pretty awesome. But yeah, um, also the Tom Hanks movie, News of the World. Did you ever see that? I didn't see that one. I think that one's only available, like, uh, yeah, because if it's a free on one of my streaming services, I will watch it. But if I have to pay to watch something, uh, like the pay-per-views or whatever, I haven't I, really done that much. That, I over think the last News year, of the so. World actually is Apple TV. Is it? Yes. I might check it out because I do know that Tom Hanks, uh, I did see a movie with Tom Hanks last year that was supposed to be in theaters. That was released on Apple TV. And that was um, uh, oh, the, the submarine one, one. The submarine one. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah the, the World War II movie. And that was really good. I wish I could think of the name of it. But that one he gave a great performance in as well. Um, and uh, I will. I, yeah, I definitely would recommend that one to people. Um now, I also, uh, speaking of Netflix, uh, saw The Five Bloods. Um, What's and, that? And that was a Spike Lee joint ah. uh, with uh, Chadwick Boseman. Um, he is in it, uh, but the real standout star in The Five Bloods is um, uh, Delroy Lindo. He is amazing in it. Um, uh, so I, I definitely recommend checking that out. It's a, you know, return to Vietnam type movie, but, um, you know, it's Spike Lee and, and it's, it's really done well. Um, also another, uh, Netflix movie that I saw that's getting a little bit of buzz is Mank, um, about Herman J. Mankiewicz, uh, writing Citizen and Kane. Um, I did see that there. one and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. And since it's all black and white too. Black and white. Uh, it's about Hollywood. Um, you know, Hollywood likes movies about themselves. Uh, and it's a great performance by Gary Oldman. I mean, he's just, you know, uh, once again, amazing. Well, Gary Oldman, it's just always amazing to see, you know, because he sinks right into the character. He disappears. And it's just amazing to see the role he played in this. And Citizen Kane is such a groundbreaking film but there was so much behind the scenes and you get to see a lot of this which is pretty darn awesome yeah um so yeah so those are like a most of the contenders that i've seen um and there's a lot that i haven't seen uh a lot of people have been talking about minari uh about the a korean american family trying to make a life for themselves in the 1980s in arkansas 
Um, right. That sounds interesting. Um, also, um, what is it uh, Mo Rainey's Black Bottom? Um, another Chadwick Boseman movie. I think it was his last performance. Yes. Um, and you, you could see how much weight he had lost in that one. And Really? Have oh, you yeah. seen that one? I did. Okay. And it, it's an, another incredible performance. And he's just not the only one, though. But there's just so many amazing performances in these films. It's just, you know, it's just amazing. And it's not a bad thing that it goes straight to streaming anymore. It's yeah, not. It I, used to. It used to be. Oh, it's only going straight to streaming. Oh my God. Uh. Well, a you lot know? of uh, a, a, there's been a lot of leeway this year. Now we'll see next year if things you know return to normal and whatever. If if things change for the industry and they keep recognizing streaming only movies, or how that works out. But. Um, but um, some other performances that I've, I really want to check out: um, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, playing a uh, a man with dementia. I've heard it's yes. a very uh, intense film experience, and uh, so I'm not. I, I want to see it, but I'm kind of like, oh, that's not going to be a, a happy friend movie. of a friend of mine saw it and it touched him a little too close, and mm. he said he said he had some troubles watching it because the performances were so great in that one. Um, another one is there, First Cow uh, that I've heard that fun things about. Um, and uh, also Cherry, which stars Tom Holland uh, by the Russo brothers. That's also, I think, available on, on Apple. Yes. Um, and then there's one called St. Francis, which I've heard of, which is really, really good, too. So mm-hmm. um, uh, The Nest is another one. Did, um, you see, did you ever see Palm Springs? I did not see Palm Springs. Good wait, good good mention that because I'd forgotten about that one. I've heard good things about that one too. Yeah, because Palm Springs was a lot of fun. It's on Hulu and it's basically kind of like a Groundhog Day type story. Right, right. And and but and it's I'm not a big Andy Samberg, you know, right. fan, but you know he was actually really good in this. I was actually really impressed. Um, the other movie, um, that got my attention, that's been some buzz around is, uh, I listened to a podcast called the slash film cast. Uh, and those guys, when they did their best of 2020 movies, um, one movie that was pretty much standout near the top of all three of the guys list was sound of metal, which is available on Amazon right now. And I've heard really good things about that. Hmm. That it looked interesting. Um, you know, what is it about? You know, what's... Uh, it's about a heavy metal drummer who um, it begins to lose his hearing Ooh. and his life goes into, you know, you can tell that yeah, like, obviously that that's going to cause some problems. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I've even seen uh, folks mention that uh, uh, Barat's subsequent movie film has got a chance at, at maybe getting some awards this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's possible you know but not but not i'm i'm that's one I movie can't... that i'm like on this list that i'm kind of like eh, i'm good i don't need to watch that i i saw it it was oh god yeah you know we saw it the I've first heard, like week. the big star is uh the big standout that steals the movie is cuomo Quom- well cuomo not cuomo no, giuliani sorry. giuliani sorry yeah got my was uh, like, new york yeah. guys mixed up Oh yeah, they're easy to get mixed up, you know. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, Giuliani is, I can't believe what he did was legit, but it was. And truthfully, Sasha Baron Cohen is amazing, but the woman who played his daughter in this film stole the show completely. That That's what I've heard, is that if there's any reason that this movie is going to get any sort of attention outcome award season, it's because of her. I could see her getting a Best Supporting Actress nomination Ooh. for this role. Ooh. But, you know, and I'm hoping, you know, Chadwick Boseman gets a Best Actor nomination for his, his the films he's, he's got two in. movies that he can, you know, that, you know, that, uh... Um, it would be a crime yeah. if he didn't, truthfully, because he, he stole the shows in both movies. So, so let me ask you this, because I know that, I think you and I have talked about this, too, and the, the Oscars... Um, I don't know if they mean as much as they used to mean to both of us, but I think both of us used to be excited by the Oscars and, and like watching the Oscars and like watching the movies that were, that were nominated and, and, and all that. Um, and like I said, I mean, at least for me, I think we've mentioned that as I've gotten older, it kind of means a little bit less and less, but, but with everything like struggling to go back to quote unquote, some sort of normalcy, I have to say that I'm, and plus I've gotten a chance to actually watch a lot of these movies. I'm actually kind of invested a little bit more in the Oscars this year. What about you? Um, I'll watch it because I'm curious to see, because this is technically the first real streaming nomination year. And I think it's going to change how we look at movies from this point forward. You can't not, you know, not include the Netflix, the Amazons, the Hulus, the Apples, and other places. So I think it would be, I think it would be worthwhile for, you know, the Academy to now include these with the major movie studios, you know, with the movie theater releases. I, you know, it's it would be foolish for them not to, but you know, I still think you have films, even, you know, that are coming out earlier in the year that are being forgotten nor like normal. You know, if you have movies that come out in the spring, a lot of times they are ignored by the Academy. Yeah. You know, we, we've talk, we've talked like, about that multiple times. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's, those are good points. I, it is weird for me though, to think that a movie movies could win best picture without ever having been shown on a big screen. Mm-hmm. Like that that is kind of weird to me. So I don't know if uh, how I feel about that. But I, I you know I, I think it, it they do need to spend some time in the theater. But as we've seen before, sometimes they only are in there a week, and they that that makes them qualify. So they're good, right? So, um, and you know who knows what things are going to be like going forward. So I just hope that whatever happens with the awards ceremony or with the awards themselves. Uh, the ceremony is better than the I, – I didn't watch it myself, but the nightmare that I heard was the Golden Globe ceremony. So, Oh, yeah. I heard they had so many technical issues with the connections between the different – the people and it, it was a cluster F. And I'm not going to say the other words. We'll, we'll save that for Darren because I know he'll be, you know, cursing it up. <laughs> it's anyway. going to have an explicit tag on it. Oh God, yes! I cannot not expect that, especially so. with the subject matter we're talking about. Oh, of course. So, um, so uh, also a question for you too regarding uh, the movies. Do you feel like 
this year's contenders, do you feel like it's watered down? Do you feel no, like, no. oh, if we had a big year, some of these wouldn't be even mentioned? No, I think um, I think you have some very strong candidates, and I like how diverse it is. And yes. you might you might even see some foreign films in there. Who would have expected last year Parasite to do so strong? Yeah, true. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we maybe get a foreign language film or a film from India or over in the UK or Europe that we haven't even brought up. And it's it's just, you know, like something like The Dig, which is was a joint venture with Netflix. You know, and so if that gets nominated, that'd be a nice straw in the hat. But, you know, it was amazing. A foreign language film last year won Best Picture. And I never thought I would see the day. But that also shows the globalization of the movie industry. And so it's pretty awesome. Now, when they finally have Bollywood movies nominated for Best Picture, that's when we're going to have to talk. You know? <laughs> um I also think to your point too, I think, you know, I mean, all the movies that we've talked about, there are several contenders that feature um, non-white actors, directors, writers, um, crew as well, as well as strong performances, both by um, women and men of all sorts. I, I don't, you know, I would be shocked in a bad way, if the best director category didn't have at least two women on it. Oh, I would be really, really shocked because there were some amazing films this year that were directed by some very strong female directors. And I'm not even looking at uh, Patty Jenkins for Wonder Woman or anything. Cause no, I, no, no. I don't think she'll even be looked at for. No, I don't. I would, I would, I would imagine there's, I can't imagine Wonder Woman 84 being nominated for anything. No, which agreed. is sad, but I, I certainly, we had so much high hopes for that one too. Really, really did, you know, but you know, do you count like something like that is like a three part mini series or something? Would that be considered something like, a long form movie or something, or you know something because people have brought up something like Queen's Gambit, and so I, you know what, I, like I said, I, I, I don't know. I think that's stretching a little too far. I mean, I know that there are long movies out there, but I think it has to be like I think yeah for the for it to be a film. Like I said, I even have a problem with it just being on streaming only. Like I think it has to spend some time in and shown on a big screen and not like at your house. Um, so I, I, uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I know that a lot of, and a lot of binge worthy shows now feel like an eight hour or six hour movie. Right. So, um, but they're broken up and they're chaptered and, and yeah, they're separated. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I haven't seen Queen's Gambit, so I can't say for sure, but on the off chance, I mean, just by what I know about it, I would, I mean, there's enough movies that are contenders enough. We don't need that kind of competition. Yeah, no, I could to totally see that. And it would be very interesting also. They have their own award. They have the Emmys. Oh yeah, they do have the Emmys. So we'll see. Maybe they'll come up with their own award. They can have the streamies. 
The streamies. <laughs> the bingies. The bingies. Well, that you sounds know. like a that sounds like a disease. No, it sounds like what the uh, pot growers of America are hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Absolutely, let us know, definitely let us know what you guys think. Is there any films that you think that should be nominated for Best Picture that we've missed? And if there's any movies that you think that there's a performance or something about it that we should see, check out. Let us know because we want to hear from you guys. Uh, I'm always. Uh, curious to hear recommendations so if you've got something from the past year that even might have been overlooked that you're like dudes you gotta see this this is really amazing let us know because uh i you know i'm i'm still streaming i still want oh, yeah. cool stuff of course we both do and truthfully there's also you know i guarantee it i will put a guarantee soul is going to win best animated picture this Ooh, year. look at that going on a limb already i am going on a limb <laughs> it's not even been officially nominated yet no, but I I can't think of a better animated film that we've seen this year. No, I can't uh I can't think of another anime, animated movie I that came out this year. So So there you go. <laughs> there probably are some, but oh, yeah. um yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think uh if Soul is on the ballot, it's got my vote. Oh yeah, I definitely think so. Well, Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment, and we are going to be bringing Darren in. He's just chomping at the bit to talk about Paris is Burning. Ooh la la. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. I'm excited because this week I almost have too much to talk about to fit into a short blurb, which is a really nice and fun change of pace. So I'm going to try to get through these as quickly as possible. First off, I got caught up on WandaVision finally, and what a phenomenal show. I just really love what Disney Plus is doing with the Star Wars and Marvel Cinematic Universe and bringing these stories to a smaller screen. But some great twists made me even more excited for MCU content in the future and highly recommend it. Super excited to see what more they come up with. In terms of some new movies that have come out this weekend, I definitely recommend Disney's animated feature, Raya and the Last Dragon. This is a gorgeously animated movie. Just beautiful the different concepts and the world they've created and using diverse characters a great soundtrack a fun story there are a couple times when the humor maybe threw me off a little bit seemed like it was definitely geared towards more younger viewers but overall definitely a fun film I recommend checking it out and just always great to see some new Disney content The other new movie we got this weekend, Chaos Walking, was definitely not as memorable. I watched both Rhea and Chaos Walking this past weekend, and Rhea is definitely the one I've been thinking about more. Chaos Walking is a dystopian sci-fi movie, and I feel like it had a great cast. You've got Tom Holland, Daisy Ridley... But just didn't feel like all the elements fully coalesced. So if you're desperate to see something new, there's some decent things in it. But definitely not something to get 
as excited about. And I feel like that can kind of be the problem with the genre. We've had a lot of dystopian sci-fi, so we really need something to set it all apart. And it could be that this is adapted from a book, and the concept of the book is that you can see people's thoughts as a sort of aura around them called noise. It's really cool to think about playing with in the context of a book, but it's a little harder to pull off on screen, so maybe that's what drives the movie down just a little bit. But like I said, it's cool to have new stuff to talk about, and there's still more to come this month with Justice League and the highly anticipated Godzilla versus Kong. Howdy! This is Cowboy Jim, and I'm here to talk to you about the Cigar Nerd Podcast. Nothing I like more on the old dusty trail than sitting down and listening to two good old boys who smoke cigars and talk about nerd things like movies and TVs and comic books and all that stuff. So saddle up and ride on over to CigarNerdPodcast.com. They're also on the ESO Network. Yeehaw! You have space to do all that you intend to. This movie is about the ball circuit. A competition amongst gay people under one roof. It's like crossing into the looking glass. A house, their family. Kids with broken homes or no home at all. My name is Angie Extravaganza, and I am the mother of the house of Extravaganza. I'm Willie Ninja, the mother of the house of Ninja. Ninjas hit hard, they hit fast. We come out to assassinate. I'm Pepper LaBeja, the legendary mother of the house of LaBeja. And I've been around for two decades. Raining, that is. Some of them say that we're sick, we're crazy, and some of them think that we are the most gorgeous, special things on earth. They call them competitions. But believe me, they're wars. That's just the statement of the time. It speaks for itself. Hey there, welcome back to Earth Station One. And big shout out real quick, our friends over at Inked Marketing. Ink Marketing is very pleased to announce that the Kickstarter for Nippon is live. You could go to inked.pub slash Nippon to see their Kickstarter. Nippon is a samurai story set in 16th century. This period was almost a turning point for Japan, as the empire now has lost its former power and the shoguns, the Japanese representatives of feudalism, began to replace it. Our main character, Sinjai, witnesses the capture of his own town while the shoguns take over the region as they wish. From this moment on, the deep story begins in which Japan will take shape. Check out the Kickstarter once again at inked.pub slash nippon, N-I-P-P-O-N, to see the Kickstarter and help support this wonderful project. And now Darren is here to talk all about, ready for this, Paris is burning. You ready, sir? 
Darling, I was born ready. Are you ready, darling? <laughs> oh, we We're are going ready. to give it to you with realness tonight, darling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Only a little shade. I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that out for a minute because it that does get old when I do that. <laughs> I just don't I don't think I'm qualified to do. That. Um, we're gonna do Paris is Burning tonight for the Rainbow Room. It is a 1990s documentary filmed by um, Jenny Livingston, who is a. I feel like this is important to note. She is uh, a a white filmmaker who is obviously female. And this documentary is about the drag ball scene or ballroom scene in New York city in the mid to late eighties. I believe they filmed for about three, four years or so starting in 85, 86, moving through the end of the eighties. It stars what were the mainstays of ballroom culture in that time. Um, we see Dorian Corey, one of the old um, established, older established queens from the way balls used to be. We see House of La Beja, uh, House of Ninja, House of St. Laurent, House of Extravaganza, House of Dupree, and House of Pendavis are the main characters that we follow throughout this kind of vignette setting of what goes on at the balls. And it's important to know that this, this is um, – this is several years into the Rainbow Room project on ESO. And now we, we've done directors, like specifically John Waters. We did the, what film looks like through a queer eyes perspective. We've done all the coding talk about how characters are not called queer in classic films, but they read queer to a contemporary audience or to someone who is LGBT, who is looking at the film today, kind of reading themselves into the work. And then we've talked about camp classics, whatever happened to baby Jane, (laughs) mommy dearest. We've done a couple of those that are just, yeah, they're gay because they didn't have a choice. Right. So (laughs) that's what they are. This is our first time doing a couple of things. One, we're talking about trans people in this movie. It's a documentary. We're talking about real people for the first time ever in this series. Everything else we've done has been a a, a uh, serialized, fictionalized kind of a thing. And we're talking about people who are not white. And I think it was really important to bring that slice into this project because all gay people aren't white men. Uh, we, we are a spectrum of individuals and I know we typically, um, tend to be a very Caucasian group here. So that's why I've invited my very, 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 very dear friend, Tanya with us tonight on this cruise. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Hi, I'm well, how are you? I am way back in the day, way back in the day. She knows more dirt on me than y'all will ever, ever get. So, uh, although I take money, I take yeah. money, I take checks. <laughs> she will take checks. They will, they will. We cash. can give you a subscription to the ESO cash Patreon if you like. <laughs> 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 it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. So, but I wanted to make sure that we had that perspective because I didn't want us to be a group of white people examining the lives of African American and Latin individuals without having that perspective at the table. So, it was very important for me that for us to have this discussion with that perspective. And like I say, a lot of the times one person does not represent an entire group. Just like I I am not representative of the entire. Thank you. (laughs) I'm not representative of all white gay men out there. It's, it's just, this is our perspectives on things. So the ball culture basically uh, started when Crystal LaBeja, the legendary queen, Crystal LaBeja, had a rant in a documentary called The Queen. You don't need to watch the entire documentary of The Queen. You just need to watch Crystal's rant because it's the best part of that hour and a half that you won't get back. 
and Crystal just basically calls everyone racist. <laughs> walks out, walks off stage after she's called third runner up. She was Miss Manhattan, and she's third runner up. And that was back when. And drag pageants still do this. There are drag pageants for what we would call girls who can pass. You know, guys who look like beauty queens. You've seen those type of girls on like um, daytime talk shows where they try to fool guys and which one's a man, which one's a woman, that kind of a thing. Um, Not every drag queen is going to ever fit into that mold, right? But Crystal was an African-American drag queen who, who was beautiful. And you can see the pictures from the queen and she is gorgeous. But when she was insulted by coming in third, she and a friend of hers went off and they created the drag balls. And that's how we get to Paris's burning. And that's how we get House of Labasia. And that's kind of like the origin of Paris's burning in a way. And now when we come into Paris's burning, we start to see all these vignettes of these different groups, these different people. We begin to understand that the houses are there to give, give an escape during AIDS, height of AIDS in the 80s. That was certainly something that was going on that was on everyone's mind. We, we see how the houses give a place for kids to go when they're kicked out of their parents' house because their mom and dad don't approve of their gayness or their trans lifestyle. And the houses became the support system, the de facto support system for these people because their families turned them out. So it's not just having a ball and having a good time and dressing up in all the finery that you can find. This was and still is a thriving subculture of New York city and of LGBT life in New York. And I think it was important to kind of put this, it's a slice of life that covers kind of the happiness of this world and how we do support each other. And also the tragedy of what can happen sometimes when you don't have your support system and things fall apart and things happen and the dangers of being LGBTQ. So let, I've got the list of um, characters here, <laughs> for lack of a better word. So let, let's talk, because this movie is really about vignettes with the individual um, players and actors, let's, uh, let's start with House of Corey, Dorian Corey, the um, established queen. What did y'all think about her? Anybody, the floor is open. The floor is open, darling. Walk it. I think... She actually, to me, had one of the most unique perspectives because mm-hmm. she kind of, um, you know, straddled generations. Mm-hmm. You know, she she uh, she had a she was there um, before the drag balls happened, and then she got caught up in it. And she she has this very sort of world weary way of of speaking and. Um, a very profound way of speaking because she's she knows that the fantasy isn't real. Yeah. And she's willing to say that and yet she still wants to be a part of it. Uh because that's where she's getting her 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 validation, her her acceptance, her I just, you know, Paris is burning to me is kind of overwhelmingly sad. Mhm. I was thinking and, the same thing. Yeah, it certainly can be. Yeah. She's actually one of the most tragic characters, but also one of the bravest characters, one of the most, um, um, especially with the <laughs> thing in the closet story. Yeah. Uh, which, which we'll get to. We'll get, we'll get to that. Yeah. Right. It's not but, in the movie. It's a, it's yeah. after effect. But, uh, but she's actually in a way, 
I, I identified with her more than anyone only because, um, I don't know. I just kind of feel that sort of world. I mean, I'm in my fifties now and I kind of feel that sort of world weariness, you know, that sort of, I've been an outcast my whole life. No mainstream culture is never going to, to accept me for what I am. If I want to, to pass and not be harassed, I have to be a certain thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when I walk down the street, especially in the South. Oh yeah. So, um, when I go outside of 285, my voice lowers an octave automatically. Yeah, yes. It just does. So, I mean, she's kind of, she's, she's, I mean, her story's actually quite, quite moving, but there's, and while I said it was sad, there's also a lot of strength there. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the first quotes is where they say you have two marks against you if you're African American in America. And then the, the third one is the fact that, hey, you're, you're also gay. Yeah, you got to be stronger than you ever thought you were going to be able to be, right. you know, or you had to be. You know, one of the things that I found most interesting about her um, is that so often when we encounter gay culture, especially in media, it's always a very youthful event. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we had shows like Queer as Folk, and it was all about going to the nightclubs. It was all about the circuit parties. And there are older gay people. They exist. Um, and I, and hi. I, hi. Yeah, you don't disappear at, <laughs> and, after 30. Right, you know. It's not like Logan's run. Right, you know. The, the, oh, you have no idea how gay that movie is, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it, sir. But, you know, I think it's fascinating because, you know, as you said, she's still very much wanting to integrate, you know, with the ball scene, but she also has this memory of what it was like before. You know, mm -hmm. she talks about the difference in the fashion, the differences in the presentation. Um, you know, the difference is now that we have these houses and what the younger people are doing, the ones that want to become legendary. And so, I, you know, I thought that was very poignant, you know, everything she said. And, and the thing that struck me most is when she talked about small fame. You know, Andy yeah. Warhol told us we would all be famous for 15 minutes. And I think we live in that now. But this was 30 years ago. And you had people who, without the Internet, without, you know, Instagram, still had these massive followings. You know, they were mm -hmm. famous in a very, in a small way, as she put it. But, you know, 30 years later, and they're all hugely famous. We were having this conversation. There's young people who are doing the same thing now. And she she did become legendary. Mm -hmm. I also say she, she's the one who contributed most to pop culture in this movie by actually defining the words reading and shade, which are thrown around all over the Internet on a daily basis. And it's like, I don't think you know what that means exactly because that's really not shade and that's really not a read you know like like she says um she's like if, if i'm a black queen and you're a black queen we can't call each other's black queens that's not a read that's just a fact <laughs> you know right. <laughs> so right. it, it's a matter of what do i talk about with you and uh how, how do i get under your skin enough to to win at this um whatever fight we're having which is you know, like someone said, the best shade is the one that you give to someone and they, they go home and they wake up in the middle of the night and go, she shaded me. <laughs> you know, when they, they realize it miles down the road, it was a, right. it was a read. It was a shade. It's like, oh, mm, girl. Yeah, so. she gave one of the best definitions I've ever heard. I mean, it was like she, she really got it. So let, let's move on to... Uh, Peppa LaBeja, and if you didn't know, Junior LaBeja was the um, the bald man with the glasses standing behind the um, podium in most of the scenes, mm -hmm. talking about what categories oh, it was. Right. That was mm -hmm. also 
he's also in House of LaBeja. And he is one of the few people in this movie who is still alive today. Really? Yes. Yeah, that was actually one of the tr- most tragic things about this movie is I was looking them all up afterwards, and they're all gone. Yep. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that, too. I, they're all deceased. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, I was doing the research, not only that you gave us, Darren, but some on my own, and I was like, yeah, what, what's happened to most of these people? Oh, and, you get extra credit, Mr. Mr. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, they're, <laughs> uh, they, most of them, uh, you know, did not end well. But, you know, and that's... When I was watching the film, I just kept thinking about that time period in my life i had um you know kind of just graduated high school i was still an undergrad mm-hmm. and i was working in bars in atlanta and a lot of my coworkers were gay men and so i went with them to the clubs i did go to you know a couple of balls here and there and i just remember that time as being extremely sad mm-hmm. and being being very anxious you know all the time because you would hear oh did you hear about that guy that works in you know, I worked at a hotel for a while and they would say, oh, did you hear about this guy that worked in this restaurant over here? And they'd say, I heard he's got it. And you could almost look at the calendar and you, and you would be like, OK, he's not going to be here at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I thought was just so overwhelming is when I'm watching all these people and I knew what had happened to most of them is that all of them were so very much alive. They all had the same basic hopes, dreams, desires that anyone has. And I think that that's also very interesting for a lot of people who didn't know that ball culture existed for people who had never had any encounters with gay culture at all you know for the average person you might know a gay person but you don't really go to gay events necessarily if you're straight you have no idea what that looks like you have this idea that's based on what you've read in magazines or what you think it is in your head and so to hear these people talk about you know just basic desires I want a, I want a nice home I want to be comfortable. I, it's not, I want to mm-hmm. be extravagantly rich. It would be lovely if I were, but I really just want to be, I want to feel safe. I want to be safe. And, yep. you know, right. I want to be, I want to be quote, yeah. quote normal. Right. Yeah. Right? I want to, I want right. to, not, not that I want to conform, but I want, I want every, my surroundings to conform to me. Like, you know, like that. Or you want society I, not I just, to make I a just big want to deal. be who exactly. I am yeah. and I have just, everybody leave me alone. Right. <laughs> you know? exactly. And that's why the balls were a big escape. Right. Because this was the one place and I talk about that early in the film. This is the one place where you can walk through those doors and you're in another world for a couple of hours and you can forget about everything. You can forget about AIDS. You can forget about the violence. You can forget about not having civil rights. You can forget about all that, about all that stuff for a little bit and just enjoy being at a ball with friends. Right. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think one of them compares it to like, you know, sporting events. And it is very similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there is a competition there. Oh yeah! Um, oh they, yeah! There were Blood winners thirsty. and losers. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. And they they did they did not show any mercy in these. No, nope. no. And I think yeah. it was uh, Pepe Lavezia that talked about when you're gay, you monitor everything that you do, and that realness is passing as your straight counterpart out in the world. And you know, I was thinking about the black experience and how I don't think when people talk about um, racism and microaggressions and what, what why are people so angry when you think about how you monitor your behavior every day, because there's always this awareness that there's somebody that's watching you. And it's the same thing for queer people, for gay people. There's always someone that's watching. There's always someone that is convinced that they know you, even though you're a complete stranger to them, they know everything about you. Um, And so you spend your life, you know, being on hyper alert. And so here's this time frame for a few hours that these people were able to go and, and feel free and be themselves and reinterpret themselves, re-envision their lives. 
And it, it's important to get that break. Um, as a gay man, you never know um, when the next, you know, fist is going to fly and it may be in your direction. You just never know. And so if you're obvious by the way you dress or the way you talk or your mannerisms, yeah, it's a problem. It's a real problem. And even when you go to work, you know, I, I've seen people passed over for promotions because, well, they, they just weren't the right type of person. And that's all you have to say. Not that they're not competent. They're completely competent. But they didn't hit the society conformity <laughs> you know, level of what they were going to do. So they wind up stuck where they are until they choose to conform or leave. And then they wind up having to conform wherever they go if they want success. Well, it's just, you're doing whatever you have to do to mm -hmm. survive. It's all about survival. And that, that was the main, one of the main takeaways I got was that they're all their, everything, everything they do is geared toward survival. Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. in, In a world that, can come down on them at any second without any warning. I mean, just talk, every single one of them was hyper vigilant, hyper alert. Now, I'm sure a lot of us here are also that way and can identify with that. Because, I mean, if you're a woman, you're afraid to go to the ATM alone at night. If you're a gay woman, you're afraid to walk down, down the street, you know, hold your girlfriend's hand. If you're you know, you're a gay man, you're afraid of what your voice sounds like or, yep. or how you're walking. You know, if, if, if you're, if you're a black man or a black woman, you're just waiting for that, that little, you know, that sneer or, or that, you know, or the wrong they, cop they treat, to pull they treat you over. You, right. Or, or even, even just treating you differently right. from the customer. It's, that came the nicest ones. You. it's the nicest ones that I find most offensive. Um, you know, yeah. for a very long time, I lived elsewhere in the country and I would always say I actually missed Atlanta because I would much rather you have a giant Confederate flag and I know where I stand with you than you be convinced that you're not racist and you actually are and you're making my life miserable with just your daily way of engaging with me. And, mm-hmm. and there were people that didn't get it. I was like, no, trust me. It's, it's, uh, yeah, the South is honest about its right. racism. I would, I would much Very rather. <laughs> I would much know, rather. But, least. you know, I think that, you know, Pepper is this amazing character who, you know, spoke very freely about providing that support system for all the mm-hmm. children in her house. And you and, could also tell it was it was a it was a burden and an obligation at the mm-hmm. same time, right? Because mm-hmm. like who else is going to step in to help these kids? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so, family always is. Yeah. I mean, and it, you know how how many of us have had to find find our own families? Mm-hmm. Because we weren't getting what what we needed from our birth families. Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. about those two kids early on, the ones that were fifteen and thirteen, oh, hanging out amazing. at two a.m. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. One of them is still alive. Really, uh, I was I was able to find the research, but the other one, no one knows what happened to him. I was I was questioning that with when we were watching it last night, and we were like, so young, and literally both their parents, you know, were not in the picture or gone or didn't care. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they you just know, threw them away. Exactly. No, literally. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, it, and people it think so- it's an exaggeration when you bring that up, when you say, Hey, gay people get thrown out of their houses. It happens mm-hmm. still all the today. Time. Oh. All the time. And you don't yeah. hear about it because it doesn't make news because it, there's no law against it. There's no, okay. uh, usually when it happens, the, the child is quote unquote old enough to work but has no societal 
underpinning, like no car, right. no ability to afford rent, which forces them into what? Stealing and sex work. Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, they're at home, but they're in a hostile environment where no, the totally. parents really don't right. want them to be there. They mm-hmm. don't want to be seen as being horrible, villainous people, so they don't actually put them out. But they very much dismiss them in every other way. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's they still hold them to the same things. Yeah, the silent shunning of the child, which is not what you want in a family. That's not a good environment. No. So yeah, Pe- Peppa took over um, the house of libation from Crystal. Um, Crystal passed away, obviously, before this movie was made, or else she would have been in it, darling. And if you don't see the queen and hear that rant, I will personally come to your house. It's and a your beautiful door, minute fifty nine. It. It's it's, a, <laughs> it's not it's not long at all, but it gets the point across. She's beautiful in really anger. Yes, yes, she is. So, House of Ninja, Willie Ninja. Ooh. Let's talk about this character. Now, he is the one who helped bring voguing to the world, and that's why in your homework you got those Madonna videos because voguing didn't come out of midair. No, although it seemed it to white America at the time, right? Because no one had really heard of voguing outside of the ball culture. I know we didn't hear about it in Atlanta. I'm like, oh, this is a cool groove. Yeah, Madonna, go! And I'm like, she picked this up. Because she went to a ball. Well, the, and, you know what the funny thing was, though? I had mm-hmm. seen it. I was just like, wait, it's called Voguing? Yeah. I, I had seen Voguing. it, but I didn't, it didn't have a name for me. And, and so... you wonder why Anna Wintour didn't sue, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I did wonder, you know, because, yes, I was familiar with uh, the, the song and the video. Mm-hmm. And I was, and then I, I, you know, because I always think the worst of Madonna. Um, I, 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 as, as one does, come on. I, I thought, I thought, how dare she capitalize on this? Leave right? Britney how dare, alone. Oh, oh wait. How oh, dare oh, she? Wow. How dare she claim ownership of this? Mm-hmm. But I do also think that it was a double edged like a you know, a double edged sword there because, on the one hand, yes, that's that's exactly what she was doing. Um, but on the other hand, she was working with employing and even because the song came out before this movie probably brought this movie to more people's attention than than it would have gotten without her her hit single so to speak yeah probably most likely i mean um, that maybe that's an unintended consequence well madonna does what madonna does right and she she invents herself she invents this persona for herself and then she rides that out until it ends and then she changes persona yeah she gives it she gives it a year break changes persona that's what she's good at she's not the best singer god knows she's not even close to the best but she's really good (laughs) at theatrical she can i'm proud of her yeah she's really good at theatrical presentation (laughs) oh i loved when she had that fake british accent for a while for a while that's still there is oh, it is still, it still there? there? Yeah. Well, Tina Turner still I've has her fake her. British accent. She's from Nutbush, Tennessee. Well, so. yeah, but at least she's been living on the continent for a while. Remember, I, I can remember excuse this, her Tanya. somewhat more than Madonna. I would Madonna. like to thank you all for supporting my album, Providence. Yes. <laughs> anyway, because <laughs> Tina Turner sounds like Eartha Kitt sped up. So. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that if you if you know the song and you know mm-hmm. the video, you really don't know voguing. Yeah. No. No. no, that's what this movie taught me. It's like, oh, okay, it's it's much deeper than. Oh, it's much deeper. It's Surprise, like, oh, it's much this deeper is than how gay Madonna street does. gangs fight. Holy crap! <laughs> gay street gangs fight. Yes, yes, they do. Kids, they fight. It's like West Side Story, but in Harlem. Yep, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it has more ties to like breakdancing than 
than anything. Yeah, there were a lot of breakdancing moves in what we saw. I think that's just mm, a kind that, of that's an outgrowth of the eighties, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, because, I think floor work is, I don't know, a bit more. Well, I don't want to say structured, but I, I always think it's it's fascinating that you know there are terms for all of these moves, and mm-hmm. there is rhyme to the reason there. Not that there isn't in breakdancing, so all the breakdancing fans do not send me emails and want to talk about this. Um, <laughs> I thought your hate mail too. <laughs> yeah, don't do that to me. Um, but yeah, no, I I think that you know it, as as Darren said, Madonna was being Madonna, and it was also it was the nineties. I think um, our senses of um, you know cultural tourism and appropriation were very different mm. then. Um, yep. Just like I find myself now struggling not to say certain words that don't belong to me. Because mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s, really? I had many gay male friends and there were words and terms that they use that now I really probably shouldn't use them. And so I have to catch myself and be like, oh, yeah, I can't say that. We don't say that anymore. And, you know, I, I, I can't be like, it's not a sign of the times necessarily. But I think at that point, um, Madonna is very New York and voguing yeah. and ball culture were very New York. So while she might have appropriated this at the same t- time, I think she was still just being very New York. Oh yeah, she was, was being very yeah. It, mm-hmm. it was a part this is a of a beat of the city. Yeah, yeah, it's a theme of the city, and so I'm going to incorporate that, um, you know, into my video, into my into my songs. Which you know, after she married Guy Ritchie for those five seconds, you know, she moved away <laughs> from that, and it was kind of like, like she was never from New York. Was that when she was a geisha? Speaking of cultural oh, yeah, uh, appropriation, remember those five minutes? She was a geisha for a bit. I forgot about yeah. that. So, yeah, well, she's kind of been everything at yeah, this point. This, yeah. this is true. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, so House of St. Laurent, I think this is where we get the uh, Octavia who wanted to be the supermodel. She mm-hmm. was trying to follow in um, Iman. Yeah, she was beautiful. She was really beautiful. thing was Paulina, though. She, I think it was yeah, Paulina. Yeah, Paulina. Yeah. Maybe you could, I looked it up and I couldn't see, I did see where Paulina acknowledged. Uh, I think she said, uh, she's quoted as saying that when she saw that movie, she it was one of the most um, uh, profound experiences because she really felt proud of what she does. Like in, in that someone felt that way about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if the two ever actually met or encountered each other. Oh, probably um, not. Yeah, I doubt it. No. I, mean, I, don't, I, I could look it up, but I... So, but- I now, who is that? Same planet, is, same planet, different world. Yeah, so when she goes to the go see for the Ford Model Agency at the mall, who was mm-hmm. the other? I, I missed that. Who was the model that was there? It was Sherry Headley, Eileen Ford, and no, who was that model? Yeah. That wasn't Paulina, right? No, I don't no. think it was but, Paulina. No. 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 Who was it? Though? I don't know. I, who I, was. I, I, oh, there, there were so many faces. It, was, it looked like George Michael's freedom yeah. video. Yeah, <laughs> th- this is true. Honestly. But, you know, I think one of the things that I. Um, read when I was doing follow-up research on this is, you know, one of the things that they talk about is, you know, here you have this character and she's speaking, you know, she, Octavia, she wants to be all these models. And there were, there was Naomi and Iman, but they were, weren't mm-hmm. really as present on her vision board. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. that still is indicative of, we have this normalized view of what is beautiful. What is beautiful right. is beauty is white. Right. right. And even as a woman of color, she kind of, you know, I'm sure that she acknowledged them, but she was kind of like, you know, I want to be Paulina. And in black and white film, it's really hard to tell, but it looked like her skin tone was much lighter than a lot of the other people. Oh, very um, much so. In the mm-hmm. movie. 
Mm-hmm. But it's hard to tell on black and white film, right? right. So. Well, when she did the um the, the model shoot, the bikini, she she was a brown girl. Yeah. She wasn't as like yeah. like for instance, at first I missed that Dorian was a person of color for the first few minutes. I was like, oh wait. Because Dorian has been like they talk about in The Queen, you had to lighten your skin to compete. Mm-hmm. That was expected of an African American contestant at the time. And there's still queens who lighten their skin just because that's what they, I mean, and by lighten their skin, I mean, they take the clown white out from Ben Nye and they paint their whole face clown white and then they paint a new face over it. That's kind of a drag technique now. Well, but I think that that's still a, a cultural beauty norm. I mean, if you oh, look totally. at, you know, Japan, if you look at um, a lot of African countries, they are still making plenty of money off of extremely toxic um, skin bleaches. Because yep. we still have this perception that um, light is right and white is beautiful. And like we say, representation matters because you don't see yourself in the model pages. You don't see yourself on the billboards. Mm-hmm. You don't see yourself in movies. You see all these other people who don't look like you. And so automatically you're shunted to the edge of society. Right. right. And even if you do see yourself, you're a tragic figure or you're or you're, you know, a, you're killed at the end. Or yeah. you're, you're a completely you're a complete caricature and I don't know which of those three characters. Right. Or you're the you know, right. you're the sidekick. Or you just remain othered. It's like, you know, you're yeah. you're there and you're mm-hmm. present, but you are still other and you're not actually a part of the ensemble in some mm-hmm. way. True. Or you hear words like exotic. Yes. Because <laughs> to make sure you know that you're not part of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Gay guy gets gay guys get the word flamboyant. Yeah, yeah. We don't get exotic so much unless we're we're an ethnic gay man. Then we'll get exotic and flamboyant. No, exotical. <laughs> exotical. <is that>? exotic. <laughs> exotic. I recall that conversation. It was. Exotical. I'm gonna go get my tiger uh, print briefs out just for this conversation. I think not. Okay. No, Let's pretend no. that we did, though. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. So, House of Extravaganza, which is the fun one to say. So we had we had two characters from that mostly. We had Angie Extravaganza, who's the mother of the house, and we had Venus Extravaganza, who was the young, um, I, I guess you would say, trans by our language today. And that's something else in Paris is burning. Language that is used back then is not used today in a lot of senses. So you kind of have to do that translation in your head of what folks are meaning to say. But I think with um, Venus, we would have to call her um, a trans woman. Because it was clear that everything about her was feminine, except she still had her equipment and she wanted to get the sex change and get that done. Mm. But unfortunately, as you find out in the film, spoilers, um, Venus um, was murdered um, several yeah. years after the principal filming. By And that murder was never solved. It's still... She was actually murdered um, during the filming. They weren't yeah. finished. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they weren't done. They no, because were, the first part was like... 86, 87. 86 and 87, and they were right, came, and came the, back in they 88, came back, 89. Exactly, and by then, Venus had been killed. Right, and they talk about it. Right? Yeah, really sad, but, too. And it's because what work could she get? Oh, she was a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And she hit up with the wrong John, who decided, you know, either, either Venus didn't tell him that he, she wasn't a real man, or he discovered it. You know, and decided. And to she take talked her about that. She talked about yep. you know the inherent. She risk, foreshadowed herself, right, of, of sex work and encountering Johns who either didn't know or I think, I don't know. I'm not going to say that they always don't know. I think sometimes straight men pick up women, and there's a moment where there are blinders, mm-hmm. and then you know they find themselves in a situation where it can't be denied that you know. They just had sex with a man. Yeah. So they 
in rage. And it becomes some, yeah, perfect thing. That's in plenty of movies, by the way, that trope. Hey, and, that, you know, oh, and, and, it was, yeah. and it was allowed to be a, a legal defense for a period. I think yep. we're beyond that now, but... Well, I'm... In some states, maybe. In some states, I'm sure yeah. in other states, yeah. they would still try it, right? Right, and probably get, get away with the it. the gay panic, you know. Ah, this gay person came on to me. I'm sorry, but if a woman, if you, if a straight man came on to a woman and a woman said no thank you and then shivved you in the ribs with a knife. Right. Sorry, straight panic. Sorry, straight panic. That, that whole defense should be thrown right out the window. But because, it, again, it's a minority, people can get away with being heinous. Right, and you know, even the fact that her murder is completely unsolved. It's been 30 years, but you have to wonder at the time, you know, how much was actually given to it. Oh, you know, totally. there's been so many yeah. cases, you know, Canada had a whole serial killer that mm-hmm. the cops, I think, for the first 13, 14 men were just like, hmm. yeah, well, yeah. they were gay. That happened Unrelated. To they were gay. They don't care. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Same couple of they blocks. They weren't important to society, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just happened. So, you know, you, and, and even if that's not the case, that's certainly the impression, right? Right. So, and so you kind of have to wonder in her case, you know, yep. was it really a matter of they really had no idea or did the police or just, just not another, follow up on yeah, it? Yeah, it yep. seems much more likely they just paid no attention. It, it's just another yeah. Tuesday in New York, mm-hmm. right? That's what another, I was thinking. Right. Yep. Yeah. No, and I, I felt so bad for her, too, because mm-hmm. she had the dreams to move to Florida, start a brand new life where nobody knew her. Yeah, so and, she could be a woman and no one would know about her past and everything. This Remember, this is pre-internet, so nowadays everyone in this movie would have been shocked that all their past has followed them had they not all passed away because many of them might be living in other places away from the ball scene in these happier, like like you call it, the little shop of horrors, someplace that's green, yeah, fantasy well, world, right? Exactly, and that's what I was actually going through my head when she was talking about it and, the you know, someplace where they fresh start completely mm-hmm. and i fell for her and then when they came back and said that she had been brutally murdered yeah and she know, says you know like, i just want to be with the man that i love mm-hmm. yeah that's all i want yeah. which is you know a very basic human need and desire yeah it's a low bar you would think right you would but here we are but there's just so and- many tragic characters because even angie extravaganza mm-hmm. herself she passes away relatively young mm-hmm um, and you know, and and when you watch these characters, they are all so full of joy. They're so full of life. They they're very engaged with other people. You know, we we keep going back to this theme of the houses as being surrogate families, and they all are very much alive. And to know that you know, two what four maybe four years after they finished filming, almost everyone is deceased. I mean, I think 1993 alone took maybe two thirds of the cast that you see in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, and it's just amazing. And might as well say it. And AIDS was touched on briefly, mm-hmm. in this, but it was not a focal point. It was not. Indeed. Which I think is a good thing because no, at exactly. the time that was the only thing that, you know, the mass media covered about gay people. You know, yep. gay men were villainized and all that exactly. gay life and existence was, was HIV and AIDS and, mm-hmm. and Newt Gingrich, you know, doing his damn level Jesse best Holmes. yeah, to make sure that there was a list of the offenders, you know. Yep, because they wanted to put everybody on an island so they couldn't contaminate the rest of America. Right. That was oh, actually yeah. presented on the Senate floor. Oh, yeah. They were going to have, like, basically concentration camps. Yeah, they, they were know, round, round people up and label them. They and were harassing them doctors. Away. They wanted doctors to give them lists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think people 
you know, if you weren't there, you don't remember it. Yeah. You and know, even us telling you about of... it, it's not quite the same thing as living through it and being like, nope. The kids coming up today don't have that perspective because as a gay man who, you know, Tanya, you know, when I graduated high school, was yeah, it was AIDS was AIDS was uh, all over the place, as we say in the in the media. It's all the media could talk about back then. Um, and going into a gay bar, it was rare in my 30s to find someone 10 years older than me. Rare. I remember that. I was in San Francisco in the late 80s, and it was like the whole atmosphere was just, it was all about AIDS, HIV, and, you know, who who died today. Mm -hmm. That's why I really, I hated going to Pride at that time, because it was pre-internet still. I mean, internet was beginning to to come around, but it it was still very shaky. Um, But you would go to Pride, and you that's when you would hear, oh, so-and-so passed away. I remember not wanting to ask about people. Yep. It's been a couple yeah. of months since I saw so and so, and you would hesitate to even ask because you didn't want to hear the worst. You would just like, like, yep. well, you know, maybe they. Someone really will tell you. Someone will tell me. Right. right. I had this. Or being horrifically offended if you found out about it later that you know someone was sick and they needed, you know, a little bit of money, just somebody to bring around food, and you didn't hear about it and you could have helped. Yep. And and so you were always in this weird place where you wanted to know you didn't want to know. And mm-hmm. I remember just being terrified for my single friends because, you know, I get a lot of party boys and oh, yeah. Street yeah. and, you know, tracks. Those were the places to be. And I'd be Backstreet. like, can't uh-huh. you just find, like, don't you want to settle down? And, you know, they're like, I'm in my 20s. I want to date. I want to have fun. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being terrified yep. and being very afraid for them. And being afraid so, for myself, you know. Yeah, totally. It, it, it was just like. It, it's I very mean, it was different. five to six years before we knew what was actually transmitting the disease, right? So it was just gay men were getting these lesions and then dying like six months later, three months later. If you are, um, a, kid, a, if you are a Gen X person, you have a very different view of, of mm-hmm. safe sex and sex in general, I think. Because I'm always fascinated when I talk to younger people. Because they have a, I, I don't want to say a lot of care, but they have a very carefree attitude compared to what still goes on in my head yeah it's not part of the conversation these days outside of where a condom if you get that in a school district where they can talk about condoms right right. in public right right? and uh you know as a part of my other life i actually did a project for we're going to call it a government agency and um (laughs) that project was about stis and we spent a lot of time talking to young people about you know what precautions are you taking do you know how to negotiate for safe sex and so many of them are kind of like no it's okay because, you know, mm-hmm. we have better drugs now. If I catch it, I catch it. And then there's, I mean, there are other documentaries that came later. Like, I don't even know if you've ever seen it. One like, I think it's called Chasing the Bug or something like that. But I was just like, mm-hmm. what is happening here? Yeah. Um, but And what you're talking about, those are the guys who think that they're not part of the community unless they have it, right? Was that the bug chaser thing? Yeah, and I'm, and I'm, but yeah. and well, and you know, they, they have this fatalistic idea of, well, I'm going to yep. get it anyway, so I'm just going to go ahead and try anyway, to get it now. So I might as well get it over and with. I'm just kind of, kind of going, well, how does that even work? And you're like, what? 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 How does that what? even work? I, I think it's, I think it's a lot to do with self esteem, honestly. Yeah. And and if your life's going nowhere, you might as well just have as much fun as you can uh, until you're out, and that's that's a shame. Yeah, but you mm-hmm. know, the the folks in these film in this film, here they are living their lives right in the midst of the pandemic mm-hmm. of those years. 
Yep. You know, right. and it was, and it's the same thing. You know, right now we are dealing with something that you can't see it, you can't smell it, you don't know if it's there. You know, I I had a friend that um, he was dating a guy, dude, looked completely healthy, and my friend he got it from him and he died like very quickly. That guy to this day is still alive. He still looks great. Yep. He's still healthy. He was asymptomatic the entire time. So for those of us who were there then, the pandemic now, it's not quite as as bizarre because we remember like a time two, yeah it's like part really two. In a way. Right. it's, it's part like two we, we in remember a, a time when it was very dangerous to be in close quarters mm-hmm. with strangers <laughs> yeah for a different for a slightly different reason but you know the outcome could very well be the same <laughs> mm-hmm. let's fi- let's finish up with house Dupree and house pendavis i think that's how ken pendavis said it it was definitely not, I, my, my my southernism wants to say pendavis so, <laughs> uh, uh, house dupree was mostly i think what we saw was the um the older gentleman with the um i think it was um the blondish hair doing the vogue moves mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. one of the um the big voguers um along with uh willie ninja in the movie and then um Ken Pendavis was the new up and coming legendary child who was still hadn't walked a ball yet, still hadn't done this and that, but he was like, I'll do all. He seemed like the one who had everything together in his head about how it was all going to work out in the end. Mm. And of course we, we don't know much about him. Um, I tried to do some research. I couldn't find much out about him. So who knows what happened to him? Um, But yeah, he seemed to be the one, one of the others that was full of optimism and young and I think that he shared that with Venus, but not so much the reckless behavior because he could pass, right? He looked like a man. He acted like a man mm. um, as opposed to someone who was acting and uh, way more feminine than he was, right? You know, I think it was very interesting to watch him talk about the fact that he was preparing himself, that he yep. was basically interning and he was following and learning and that his job right now in this this, this period was to be kind of like support personnel. You know, I'm going to go to the shows. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure that, he, you know, she's all ironed up. I'm going to be in her corner. And this is my job right now because I'm going to have my day in the sun soon. Yeah, I'm going to give her everything she needs. I'm going to be there, right, right <laughs> waiting for it, open the door for her, you know, hype up the crowd. And it is a crowd. I mean, it looked like, you know, wrestling matches <laughs> when they're on the floor, really, um, with, with people doing the whole the buttons on a coat are on the wrong side. He's got the wrong gender coat. You know, it's like, oh no, she did not say that. You know, just that kind of stuff. That that's the funny haha stuff that we get. You know, when when we talk about the balls, that's more of the RuPaul Drag Race kind of thing mm-hmm. that we see nowadays. Mm-hmm. That kind of interaction, that the, all the shade and the reading, and that's fun. Ha ha ha. But then you paint it against these people's real lives, and yeah, it's it's tragic in many many ways. It really is. So I guess we have to talk about Dory and Corey. We do. And uh, her the closet. body in the closet. <laughs> oh yeah. So after um, Dory and Corey passed away in I think '93, there's a hell of a one year. of her one of her uh, caregivers was told by Dorian um, to take whatever <laughs> costume she wanted, and of course Dorian's house I'm sure looked like. Uh, just a costumer's dream to go through all that stuff. I mean, you could rework stuff, you could resize stuff. You know, it's like call the U-Haul. We're going to pack up everything. And they found this um, garment bag that they could not lift and could not open because the zipper had been snapped off of it or whatnot. And so they cut it open, and um, I believe the words were a stench 
emanated from the bag. And they called the cops and turned out that Dorian Corey, for what we think was about 20 years, <laughs> had a body in her closet. Wow. And that body was sitting there while she was giving her interviews and Paris is burning. And there was a note attached to it that said, this poor man tried to rob me and I shot him in the head. And it turns out that they think that this person may have had a relationship with Corey at some point. Corey wrote a short story about a trans woman having to commit murder in self-defense. <laughs> so there were, there were a couple of tells after the fact where you're like, hmm, I'm sorry. write what you know, right? <laughs> That's what they say. Write what you know. So it's just added another layer of kind of the macabre on her. Not that it should take away from any of her you know, amazing performances ever. It's just, why would a black trans woman in Harlem in the 60s and 70s not call the police? I can't when, imagine when you've that. Shot yeah, I can't imagine. House? Hold on, let's think about why that. Why wouldn't she trust the authorities? Because she's been taught not to. You know, exactly. I mean, it didn't, the thing was, when I was watching that, I was thinking, well, this doesn't surprise me at all. Because with the kind of violence that queer people experience, and especially queer people of color experience, that that if something happened where she had to defend herself, of course she wouldn't know where to go. Of course she wouldn't turn herself in because there was no way they were going to listen to her um, no, they, story they would lock of self-defense. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, they would lock they her would away forever. Anything to say. Yeah, well, exactly. while they probably hurled expletives at her while doing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, we Most... don't know exactly when this happened. This may have been pre-Stonewall when this occurred. Yeah, because I think they we thought that the body was at least like 25 years old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it yeah. was probably from like the mid-60s, mid to like 60s. Mid-60s. <laughs> because I think they, I read this whole article about it and they were talking about, I guess they were uh, wow. pull tabs from soft drinks. That yep. quit being manufactured yes. in like the late 60s, 68 or so. And so that was one of the ways that they were dating this body. It's, it's kind of like a, she like, made her own know, time wow. capsule. And why would you do that? Why would you put pull tabs it's in there with the body? Yeah. Or were these just on the man? Yeah. I guess. You know. But you. It's kind of creepy what, and weird. I mean, what kind of state of mind are you going to be in? Yeah, I mean, totally. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's the thing. You know, whenever I hear these stories about somebody that's got, you know, a baby in the freezer or a body in the attic, I always think that in that moment, and you've seen people, like I watched that show, The First 48, when they talk about, it's like they step outside of themselves and mm -hmm. they watch themselves commit this heinous crime. And I am sure it, it has to be one of these bizarro things that after it's happened, for some period of time, you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta fix this. But now it's been too long to even try to fix it. So you're like, okay, I'm just going to let it be. And that, yeah. this is how you end up with a mummified guy in the back of your closet. <laughs> and on, on mummified guy in the closet, which is hopefully the only thing left in your closet oh. after the end of this episode. That's a band. They're a sky band. Yeah. It is. We are going to bring this version of the Rainbow Room to a close, darling. But I would like for you all to go home and watch The Queen, watch Paris is Burning, and be fabulous to yourself and to others.
everybody. Michelle here with an Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. This past Friday, Kings of Leon put out their new album called When You See Yourself. And in doing so, they made history as the first act to put out an album in the form of an NFT, a non-fungible token. Okay, what's a non-fungible token? I know I'm not the only person that asks that. Turns out NFTs are kind of like cryptocurrency, but they don't hold money value. They hold assets like art or concert tickets or music. They have their own collectability and value. They're sort of like the digital version of a Detective 27 comic or that rare variant action figure. Their value is subjective, so it can go up and down like a stock. And you own them in your name on a network called a blockchain. Uh, that's a publicly accessible and transparent network. They're in your name, but you can only sell or trade them as collectibles. Um, Kings of Leon is putting out three kinds of token um, for this album. There's a special album package, a second one that gives you live show perks like front row seats for life, and a third one that's just exclusive audiovisual art. The tokens are 50 bucks. The window for buying them is two weeks from that date, and after that, they're done. Um, if you snap one of these up, you'll own a token on the blockchain. You can download the record, the art, um, get access to limited edition vinyl, but then there's, there's no more. For those of us struggling with this, the album will also be available on standard platforms. So hooray for that. Um, if anybody picks up the NFT, let me know. I'm curious how it is. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Check out the blog at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. There's also a version at esonetwork.com. Have a good week, and we'll catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Welcome back. Now it is time for the creative outlet segment, and we are here with creative genius, Dustin Burnell. Welcome, Dustin. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. So you have a Kickstarter project, and as part of this segment, this is your time to knock it over the end zone. This is the way, basically, to you know go for the final push. Let's hear all about what you got going on. Uh, so The Listener is a book loosely based on my uncle Les, who was one of the first Native American Green Berets. And like I say, loose, because we changed the time period a little bit uh, to World War II, just because it suits our story a little bit better. Um, but his stories were are what we base things on, like what he dealt with as a Native American soldier, how things, how he was treated in certain situations. Um Les was one of those guys where they would take three or four dudes and just drop them in the middle of nowhere and have them kill a bunch of people before the important people came. That's basically what the guy did for a good portion of his life. Oh, wow. That's pretty yeah. amazing. Absolutely wild stuff, man. And so when he got older, he disappeared for like 20 years and we didn't see him. And he showed back up and his PTSD was awful. And he just kept telling us stories, though. We'd go visit him to make sure he was doing okay when he showed back up and we'd take care of him a little bit. 
but all his stories were wild, man, like absolutely wild. And he talked about um, our heritage, you know, religious beliefs and stuff like that. But he'd also talk about situations that he'd been in. And to be honest, um, that's where the title came from. The listener was we just, my wife and I would sit and listen to the things he had to say. Uh, and we didn't want people to forget the stuff that Les talked about. You know, his stories were so epic that I felt like they would disappear. Um, so like I mentioned before, we're working on the second Kickstarter now. Uh, we're already, you know, we've met our fund goal. We're really excited about that. Congratulations, uh, dude. Uh, thank you so much. So which means we're already working on book, book three. We're already in the panels for book three right now. Um, there's 30 scripts written that have been edited. So there's no shortage of the listener. Wow. How often are you guys going to be doing this? We're bi-monthly. Bi-monthly. Bi we're putting out a book. This is our second book. We started Kickstarter in October of last year. So, I mean, bi-monthly takes about three months when you say bi-monthly because you got to print and get it out to people. And sure, sure, sure. Of course. Um, but we are doing our damnedest to get books out as fast as we can possibly get them out to people. Um, we've also, to, to help people through that time period of waiting, we've also started putting out um, uh, short stories and stuff like that to, to meld the time periods. Um, but with our Kickstarter... We also were, uh, we've got a wolf sanctuary we're working with as well because Les used to deal with hounds. When they would drop them off, they'd drop two giant hounds off with them most of the time. Uh, and the man could not tell you for his life of him what kind of breed of dog they were. You know, he would just be like they were bred genetically for the war, and that was all they got. So, oh, wow. And he felt connected with them more than he did with other people. You know, these were three dudes and two dogs, and that was what they had. And um, so a bunch of our stuff is a lot, you know, dealing with that. We, we're doing this wolf sanctuary that a bunch of our funding is going to because that's a story I don't want people to forget either. No, uh, that's pretty darn awesome. So, sure. you know, so number one, I know you did phenomenal with, you know, you guys, you beat all expectations with. And number two, it looks like you're about to do the same thing. Yes, sir. And that is awesome. So how can people... If they still want to be involved with Kickstarter, how can they get involved? So um, Kickstarter is the Win Wins Week. That is, the, we title all our books uh, like you would a chapter. So uh, Win Wins Week is on Kickstarter right now. Um, the the only thing that I stress to people to if if you want to back us later, that's fine. If you want to back us now, it's great. We appreciate it. Uh, there are certain things you won't be able to get after the Kickstarter, and that is the Marissa Pope Win. Um, Midnight variant you won't be able to get after the Kickstarter, and you also won't be able to get Guy's journal unless we do a second printing of it. Uh, Guy's journal is an amazing piece, it's $50 add-on or $50 standalone. I realize that that's a hunk, but at the same time, it's 60 pages versus wow. a 24-page comic. Um, and each of those pages, so it's on the left-hand side of it is a full painting by our cover artist, Gabriela uh, Ramos, each each other page is a full painting. And then there's a, a biography about characters that are, that's connected. Um, and it's written from the viewpoint of one of our characters. So you're literally getting a, a short novel in this that I'm writing about each of these characters. Um, and that in itself is really cool. But you're getting a, like, it looks like, a, you guys remember the Spawn, uh, the Spawn Bible? Oh. Yes, definitely. First, it looks like the Spawn Bible. It's very much like the Spawn Bible. Um, no, that... that that is pretty awesome, man. That oh, is well, cool. So, yeah, so that's at the $50 level. Yeah. And what what is the starting level? Starting level is $15, and that's Gabriella's okay. cover. And it's absolutely beautiful. You know, it's really, really cool. All of our covers have something to do with the interior of the book, which we love to make sure that's the case. That's awesome. 
That is awesome. One more time. Let's find the Kickstarter. It is uh, Win Wins Weep on Kickstarter. And for any other information, you know, you guys can hit me up personally on Facebook. I'm good for that. I talk to everybody. So it's Dustin, fun. that is awesome, man. Yeah, um, we definitely would love to have you guys, you on again when you go on to the next chapter and, you know, keep on you know, pushing you through and everything. We'd be glad to help, you know, whatever we can. Thanks so much. Not that you need our help, you know, you're just no, awesome I anyway. Any help. You know, <laughs> for anything. I and Dustin, of course, um, you could be found as Dustin Burnell up on Facebook. Um, also Instagram. Uh, so I do Instagram. It's under the listener 1985 for Instagram, as well as uh, Twitter. Excellent. And I'm terrible with them, but my guys try to keep up with it. So <laughs> Facebook's easy. Facebook, I, I answer all the time. So. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, and let's take a break, and let's close up the show. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about Close Enough Season 2. Close Enough is an animated show by the makers of Regular Show, if anyone watched that when it was on Cartoon Network. Season 2 just hit, and we get all of our favorite characters back from Season 1, this time, though, with better paced episodes. Season 1 was all over the place. We later found out that it was because they cut the episodes down to fit the short format that HBO wanted. Season 2 wrote their episodes around that time format, and we got better paced episodes that were funny and showcased all the awesome characters in this show. We also got to see a lot more of Pearl, which I'm super glad because her story arcs were really, really funny, and I was really sad they cut out a lot of her parts in Season 1. My favorite episode was called Birthdays. It follows Josh and Emily throwing a party for their daughter, Candace, but also wanting to do something fun for the parents and doing a party for them as well. Candace can't tell, you know, why her parents are not paying attention to her at her birthday party, and she gets upset. They have a magician come to the party and put on a show for all the kids, and he ends up sweeping the kids away to this magical land. Josh and Emily have to go and save their daughter and their daughter's friends, and they have to go on a series of tasks and answer a bunch of questions that pertain to their daughter in order to get her and the rest of the kids back. My favorite part of this episode is the talking present. Like, they are terrifying. If you watch this, you will understand what I mean. It is also voiced by the same voice actress who does Webby in DuckTales, which made it even more funnier to me. Overall, this show is really funny and does a great job at telling the stories of each of the characters. You learn who they are, and you enjoy seeing them get into hilarious situations along the way. So if you guys want to check out Close Enough, you can find it on HBO Max. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for being here tonight. Darren, thank you for this topic. It was awesome. You're welcome, darling. I hope it enlightened your world with some fabulousness. Now go vogue yourself to death. Make them gag, darling. Anything you want to shout out about, darling? Sure. We're doing uh, Legions of Two Podcasters, broadcasting all the DC comics, Legion of Superheroes goodness. 
over at legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com. And then, of course, the Dragon Con report, report, report. Whenever that one's going to come out again, I'm sure I've got one on my schedule. I just don't know where, when it is. Soon. And uh, then here, ESO, we'll be doing um, – we've got a special coming up for uh, Stonewall, so Pride. We're actually going to do a Rainbow Room for Pride, and it's going to be a two-parter. So that stay sounds tuned. awesome, man. It is going to be a good one. And thank you for everything. And this was, like you said, it was enlightening watching this one. It was really enlightening. I think this is one of those documentaries that everyone does Mm -hmm. need to see. Because it is such a slice of life from a very specific part of American life that not a lot of people are talking about now. Mid to late 80s. It's just kind of swept under the corner because it's history it's history and it's a world that's no longer around literally it's you know new york city isn't even the same like it was back then now there are other documentaries and there there are people still doing balls in new york it's just this era of the balls pretty much totally makes sense totally makes sense yep well thank you thank you as always you're welcome sir. tanya you made it through your first episode with us i did and i had a good time yeah we're gonna have to have you back on the show soon we are definitely thank you thank you you guys are great anything you want to promote or talk about I am thrill builds everywhere. So I, I've had a lot of uh, folks who are asking me what I've been doing because con season has, of course, been canceled last year. And a lot of it seems to be falling by the wayside this year. So I am actually going to start picking up my Twitch stream and my Facebook live. So for all those uh, my build buddies out there that are curious about what I'm working on in the shop right now, drop in because we've got Green Lantern, Moltar and Kung Lao. Ooh. So, yeah, those are all in the lab. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I, I'm hoping to pick up streaming on, it's gonna be on Wednesdays starting next week. So, yeah, check me out on all social at Thrill Builds Everywhere. And, yeah, you can watch me make things. That sounds awesome. It's fun to watch yeah. people make things. And, Mary, thank you as always. Oh, thank you. This was a this one really brought back memories of uh, being a baby dyke back in LA and San Francisco. <laughs> that is that is awesome. For those of you who don't know, a baby dyke is the first Pokemon evolution of a lesbian. <laughs> so when you're out there catching them all, the baby dykes are very exactly. special. Okay. We must we must comfort them and treasure them. Most definitely. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, I've been working on my novel, which is an urban fantasy with lots of queer characters, which should be coming out in a couple of months. So if you want to join my mailing list and learn a little bit more, you can find me at maryogle.com or my artwork on Etsy at eVisionArts. Awesome. And she's, of course, the co-host of the Earth Station Who podcast also. Exactly. No, that's first. Who's on first? That's on first base. (laughs) Uh, We're not even going to start that one. No, 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 no. No, No, we can get into trouble with that. Oh, stop it. (laughs) And, of course, Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you're going to shout out about, sir? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, We mentioned um, award season, Academy Awards, at the beginning of the show with our rants and raves, but I also want to bring people's attention to the fact that uh, there was a little bit of delay, of course, with everything due to the pandemic, but... Uh, now, currently, voting is uh, on for the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards, um, and uh, we'll have a link in the show notes um, so you can vote for that. Anybody can vote for those. Uh, you just have to be a fan of uh, horror, classic horror in particular. Um, 
And you don't have to vote in every category. Just vote for what you want to vote for. Here's some suggestions. I'm not telling anybody how to vote. But um, don't vote for anybody else. I, Just vote for Mark Maddox. I do want Come to on, bring guys. people's attention to, uh, <laughs> um, for, especially for Earth Station One fans, uh, best book. Um, our good friend David Scow, who was on here for promoting his book Fright Favorites, that is nominated. So uh, that's uh, a good good place to put your checkbox. Uh, best magazine cover, of course, uh, goes to the award winning artist Mark Maddox. Yes, he doesn't have enough of these, uh, but. Uh, uh, in particular, his cover for Little Shop of Horrors, number 44, with his Hound of Baskervilles, with um, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee is outstanding. Uh, best multimedia site. This includes podcasts and videos. Our good friend Jim Adams, Monster Attack, his podcast is nominated. The Spooky Dudes, uh, who uh, we've had friends of the station here, uh, they are also nominated. And you know what? If you want to write in Earth Station 1 to that category, we're not going to stop you either. Uh, best virtual events of 2020, uh, Monsterama, the virtual con they did is nominated. Favorite horror hosts, uh, Dead West, the animated host of The Screaming Soup, uh, is nominated, and I definitely recommend him. And for best graphic artists, I'm sorry, best graphic novels or collections, um, I, I bring your attention to Stoker and Wells, which was a product, uh, a book that I, I supported in Kickstarter, and I think people should check out. Um, and of course, the write-ins for best artist of 2020, Mark Maddox, Mark Maddox, Mark Maddox, Mark Maddox. So, um, I, are you trying to say vote for Mark Maddox? Um, yeah, multiple times. Um, vote often and early. Um, we'll have a, like I said, we'll link to the show notes so that you can, uh, you know, put your votes where you want to. Obviously, those are just some suggestions. But um, voting is, uh, I think, uh, uh, till April. So um, you have time to check out all the categories and put your votes in. Well, which category is this, darling? <laughs> Best looking artist on a cover, exactly. darling. Exactly. Best monster realness, darling. Is that what we're talking about this evening? Exactly. Hmm? Exactly. I think the House of Roddenberry and the House of Lucas might have something to say about this, darling. It's always a possibility there. <laughs> All right. My shout out real quick. Uh, Judy and I watched another movie over the weekend, and this one's on Netflix, and I highly recommend it. It's a Peter Dinklage movie. It's called I Care A Lot. And it is awesome. It is about, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm going to be very vague. But it's about a woman who basically becomes the caretaker for older adults who can't take care of themselves. And she's kind of abusing the system to get people under her thumb. And she just happens to meet the wrong person. And try to take over that person's life. Let's not go any further with that. But it is a lot of fun. And the acting in this is really great. Earlier in the show, Mike and I actually talked about nominations for the Academy Awards. I think this one should be up there also. So definitely, you know, it's a, it's a great movie. And it's two hours, but it's there is no downtime. It's solid all the way through an amazing cast and it touches on a lot of bases. So it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, of course, you know, we always want to thank everybody for being here. We would left definitely would love to hear from you guys. Feedback at earthstation1.com. 
please tell us what did you think about you know Paris is burning. We definitely would love to hear your thoughts on this and you know how it affected you and your thoughts on the LGBT community and you know all that. And you know, Darren, thank you again for bringing this to our attention. It was awesome. Oh, you're welcome. You know, round of you're applause. Welcome. Round of applause all the way through. <laughs> so definitely. We definitely love to be doing things like this, and we're going to be doing more stuff like this, discussions about you know all these different things like this, and it's it's definitely worth bringing to people's attention. It's also which is really awesome. Of course, join us next week, and we're going to go the complete opposite direction, and we are going to finally be talking about Wandavision. That's right, we've been chomping at the bit, and we you know it finally came to an end. People are you know yelling at the TVs, what are we going to watch now? Or, you know, what are we going to do? Or people are going, God, I can't believe that thing's finally over. So we're going to be talking all about it. We've got a great crew here lined up for it already. So it should be a lot of fun. And as always, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find that at www.nsctv.com. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music and Audible. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Nah, we're not too proud to beg. We definitely would love you just to tell anybody who you see on the street, hey, listen to Earth Station One. They're great. I know you don't know what a podcast is, but they're still great. Tell us about it. Come on. you got to listen. Everybody, please tell at least, this is your assignment, tell at least five people about us. And they could tell five friends, and they could tell five friends, and so on, and so on. You guys are probably too young to even realize where that was from. Oh, <laughs> I wish we were too young to not realize where that was from. Uh, on behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Michael <laughs> Gordon, Darren Noel, Tanya Woods, and of course, Mary Ogle, thank you all for listening. Please hug your loved ones, take care of yourselves, and we will see you here next week on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we are done. Woohoo! Hey. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.